there was a, um, a man that went to go see a doctor. And he had done some blood work, some, some testing beforehand. He met with the doctor, and the doctor sit down with the, with the man and said, no, I've got to tell you, I've got bad news, or I've got really, really bad news. And my man said, all right, doc, give it to me straight. What's the bad news? Give me the first bad news. Doctor says, well, you're going to die in 24 hours. Pretty devastating news, right? The man, you know, collected himself and said, wow, that's pretty bad. What's the really, really bad news? And the doctor says, I was supposed to tell you yesterday. <laughs> Some bad news. I think about bad news this past week. Almost every day you turn on TV. Seems like we've had bad news. More bad news. And the world is full of bad news. Uh, today, we're going to talk about good news. We're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which literally means the good news. And here's what I know. As the world gets darker, the good news, the gospel, shines brighter. Now, I need y'all to help me out a little bit. Normally, um, as a pastor, I wear different hats. You know, sometimes I have to wear, you know, now that we own a building, from time to time, I've got to put on my maintenance hat. All right? Sometimes I'm wearing my chaplain hat. You know, I call and visit people. Hey, how are things going? And I wear my chaplain hat. Today, I'm going to be wearing, as I stand here on the platform today, I'm going to be wearing a teaching hat. I want to teach you the importance of what the true gospel, the good news is. But I want you to understand that there may be some times I might flip a twitch a little bit, take off the teaching hat, and put on the preaching hat. All right, so I might be going back and forth, and I think you might recognize that. So, you know, so when I get in preaching mode, I want to hear a good amen every now and then. Amen. All right? So you got to help me. you got to kind of feed energy here, all right? And, and then when I take it off, you'll notice I'm, I'm calmed down, all right? But let me say that again. As the world gets darker, the gospel shines brighter. Amen. Amen. There we go. Now we're moving. We're moving. You guys got it. The gospel, good news, to the person who trusted Christ as their Savior. The real good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul says, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, as highest priority. It's so important that I give you what I need you to know. It says that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. That, my friend, is the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel, the good news that sinners can be forgiven and go to heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
the most important message, the most important message in the world is the good news of salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Amen. And ever since the true gospel has been introduced by the life of Christ and proclaimed by the leaders of the first church, we have to be careful because there are other gospels that have come up, counterfeit gospels, fake good news gospels, fake news have come up. And, and, and so today, as we prepare our heart for communion, today we do, we're, we're going to be practicing communion at the end of the service. As you came in, you should have received one of these little uh, combination of juice and bread. If you didn't get one, we'll have um, our whole team come around just before we do that. But we prepare our heart for communion. We do this three, four times a year. As we prepare our heart for communion, I want us to prepare our hearts and have a clarity of the one true gospel. The one true gospel, what that means in our lives. Now, I understand that the moment that you say that there is only one gospel, that you might say that sounds intolerant. You might say, man, Scott, you're being a little narrow-minded. But there is, my friend, only one gospel. And let's be plain. It's not the Baptist gospel. It's not the Methodist gospel. Not the Catholic gospel. It's not the non-denominational gospel. In fact, it's not the Republican gospel. It's not the Democrat gospel. It's not anywhere in between gospel, the non-denominational gospel. There's only one gospel, and that's the gospel of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, you might say, Scott, that's a little narrow-minded. But honestly, I think being narrow-minded from time to time is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, when I go to the bank, I want the banker to be a little narrow-minded. I want the bank to know that 2 plus 2 equals 4, not 1. That's important to me. He's got to be narrow-minded. When I go to the doctor, you know, when I want go to the doctor, I want my doctor to be narrow-minded. You know, when I'm feeling bad and I think something's wrong with me, I, I don't want my doctor to say, Scott, let's be narrow-minded about it. Let's not be narrow-minded about it. Hey, listen, you either pick a disease and I'll prescribe whatever you think it is. Or, hey, an organ, you pick the organ and I'll take it out. No. <laughs> I want a narrow-minded truth from the doctor what the problem is. You know, I don't want my pharmacist to be narrow-minded. You know, I don't want him to say, Scott, I don't want to force my medication on you or anybody. So, Scott, you, you know, what bottle do you like best? No, I want him to tell me what I need. I want him to be narrow-minded. And when it comes to the good news of the gospel, I want the narrow-minded truth and not the fake news. A true Christian is going to be narrow-minded to God it can be narrow-minded to Jesus. It could be narrow-minded to the gospel. And so today I want to talk about three things about what the true gospel does for you and for me. If you're taking notes, you've got some handout notes around you, you can take notes. The first, the first thought is this. The true gospel, it emphasizes the grace of God. It emphasizes the grace of God. Of God. The word grace literally means God's unmerited favor. 
In other words, God given you, God given me what we do not deserve. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve that Jesus died for you and for me. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway. He gives us a gift of salvation, although we don't deserve it. That is grace. And the gospel emphasizes that grace, the grace of God. Now, we're going to look in Galatians here. And uh, this letter is written. This was written to the people, to the Gentile believers that were found in the city of Galatia. Now, Galatia was in Asia Minor, which is today known as Turkey. We know where Turkey is. But this was Asia Minor, Galatia. Paul had been there on a missionary journey started a bunch of little churches in this area and he started to preach and then he left to go to other churches in other parts of the Gentile world. That's what Paul did. But shortly after he left, there were some Jewish believers, quote unquote Jewish believers, called the Judaizers. And they came in to try to change the gospel that Paul preached to them. Look at, Isaiah, look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse number, six, verse number 6. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Paul, he's shocked that the people in this church have so quickly turned away from the true gospel. And so these Judaizers, these Jewish so-called believers, they have come in and they come into the church of Gentiles who believe in Jesus, who accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these Gentiles say, listen, what Paul did was great, but you, you've, got to, you've got to convert and be a Jewish person. You know, you gotta, you got to follow the, 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 the law. you got to obey the law. In fact, all you Gentile men, you got to get circumcised. You've got to do all this stuff. you got to convert. you got to be, yeah, you've got faith alone, but continue to keep that salvation. You've got to become like a Jewish person. you got to practice how the Jews live. And so many of these new believers that Paul had witnessed to they turned on a dime and accepted the exact opposite of what Paul was teaching them. The word in the, in the verse number six, the word deserting. It's a military term. The military term describing soldiers who left the battle, who runs away from the battle. The, the spiritual, the, these are deserters. And Paul describing the Galatians as spiritual deserters. They were spiritual, spiritual turncoats. They bought the lie, the Galatian people. They bought the lie that many people believe that you still have to be good enough for God, or God won't be good for you. That God is not a gift that you received, but it's a prize you have to earn. It's a, it's a, it became a work, salvation. And this is the mark of a spiritual deserter. 
So listen, when you add the word and to the word grace, remember what grace is, God giving us what we don't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense. All right, when we add the word and to, to the word gospel, we are deserting what the gospel truth is. For example, you and I, we should believe that the way to Jesus is to accept him into our life and be our Lord and Savior. But when we add the word and, that's when we fall in trouble. If you believe that you have to accept Jesus and be baptized, you've just deserted the gospel. If you believe that you have to accept Jesus and belong to a church, you've got to do both, then you have just deserted the gospel. If you, if you believe that you have to accept Jesus and take communion, then you've deserted the gospel. If you believe that you have to accept Jesus and do good works, you've deserted the gospel. You're doing what the Galatians were being twisted to do by the Judaizers of that day. The gospel of Jesus Christ it's not contingent on what you do, but contingent on what Jesus had done for you and for me on the cross. And when you add the word and to the grace of God, here's what you're saying. You're saying that the grace of God is not good enough. You're not saying it's good enough. And the gospel said that, that not only is the grace of God enough, the grace of God is all you need. And then we notice that Paul turns his attention from the Galatian believers who were turning away from the gospel. Now he's going to talk to the false teachers who were perverting the gospel. Look at verse number seven. I talk about you know, how they are believing in a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The word pervert. It means to reverse, if you're taking note. It means to reverse. You, you might say that these people were reverse engineering the gospel. Reverse engineering. They were taking it apart. They were adding in the rules, the regulations, the rituals, and then putting it back together and trying to make it work. And, and, and they were like presenting it to the Galatians. And listen, we, we you know, We've kind of reverse engineered this thing. It's very similar to what Paul was trying to teach you, except we added our own little special sauce to it. We added our own thing to it. They perverted the gospel. There are all kinds of perversions of the gospel that are out there. It was back then, 2,000 years ago, when Paul wrote this letter. In fact, there are perversions of the gospel even today that we need to be aware of. I'm going to give you four of them because it's so important as believers to have our eyes out, to pay attention to the false, counterfeit gospels that are in our world. Let me get just four today. There's more than this, but I'm going to give us four common ones. Number one, the first one, if you're taking note, there's the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. This is the gospel that says God wants everybody rich. This is the gospel that says that poverty and Christianity doesn't belong in the same sentence. 
I'm glad that nobody said that to Jesus. I'm glad that nobody said that to Paul or any of the disciples or many of the first group of people in the early church. You know, you see, God blessing on us is not always in material blessings. Salvation has one blessing and one blessing that matters, and that is salvation in Jesus' name. Salvation that we can have, that we can be rest assured that one day when we die, that we can spend eternity with him. If that's the only blessing of salvation that we get, then that's good enough. That's all we need. And so, yes, God has blessing and blessings in different ways. But prosperity gospel says, man, if you're not seeing God's blessing in the way of material possession, then you might not have Jesus in your life. And there are many men and there are many women today that are preaching and teaching a prosperity gospel. Listen, when it becomes more about you and not Jesus, you might want to pay attention to what you're listening to. Our prosperity gospel is a perversion of the true gospel. It's a second gospel that we need to be careful about. It's the affirmation gospel. Affirmation gospel. It's the gospel that says that God loves you unconditionally and that God loves you just as you are. But then, it says nothing else. Now, those two statements, by the way, are absolutely true. However, we need to understand that unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance of any lifestyle you choose. God does love us unconditionally. And God does love us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. That is why Jesus came into our life, to change us from the inside out. It's a saving grace. It's a grace that transforms, a salvation that transforms. That's what the gospel should do. You know, don't just come to church and, and, and say, hey, you know, yes, come as you are, for sure. You come to Jesus just as you are. But when you come to Jesus, he wants you to change. He wants you to grow in Christ. He wants you to grow from a spiritual baby to a spiritual adult. It's a process. But the affirmation gospel, it stops that God just loves you, and that's it. That's it. And it's a perversion of the true gospel. Here's the third counterfeit gospel that we have to be careful about. It's the social gospel. The social gospel. That's just the idea that says that our number one job is to feed the homeless, clothe the naked, take care of the sick, and make sure that justice is happening and getting done in this world. Now, I want to emphasize as strongly as I can. Those are ramifications of the gospel. Those are results of true gospel living. As one great man said, if that's all we do and we don't preach the true gospel, we are just making the world a better place to go to help them. Now here at Lake Point Church, you know, we do a lot of ministry, a lot of outreach. But we do every outreach with a purpose. We have a food pantry ministry. 
Every person that comes in has an opportunity for prayer and for the gospel to be presented to that person. This past uh, Thanksgiving, we, we, we handed out 750 meals to families all over Macomb, Mount Clemens and all over. And every bag, we put the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're not doing those things, then we're just spinning the wheel. Then we just become a good old bastion nonprofit. But we're not Bible-based. We're not sharing the gospel. Everything we do has a purpose for the gospel. In fact, every time you come to church on Sunday morning, it has a purpose for the gospel. The gospel is the most important thing. It's of supreme importance, just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's of high importance, the gospel. It's what we do. It's why we do what we do. The gospel. Social gospel can be a perversion of the one true gospel. Here's the fourth gospel that we've got to be careful about. It's called adaptable Adaptable gospel. This is the gospel that says that your faith is as good as mine. In fact, that there are many ways and many roads to heaven. That we all take different paths, but it doesn't matter. Whatever floats your boat takes you to one destination, which is taking different paths. In fact, love wins. That's what the gospel says, love wins. And because love wins, in the end, everybody wins. And my friend, this is one of the biggest lies that the devil would have this world to believe. That there are many ways to Jesus. If I told you, you now to give me a call this week, you would naturally ask for my phone number. And if I told you, it said, it doesn't matter. You could dial any number in the world. I'm that awesome. It would come to me. And you're going to say, Scott, that's just foolish. That's just dumb. That's just crazy. Of course it's crazy. You need my number to get a hold of me. My friend, there's one way to, to heaven. There's one way to God. And that's through his son, Jesus. When Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse number 6, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm not just a good way. I am the way. And no man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one gospel. One gospel. You can put any religious faith in the world up against the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can put any faith. You think about that one faith. Think about a faith that's different than the gospel that we believe in. Put any of those faith, and you basically you have two categories. One is right. And all the rest is wrong. One type of religious faith is spelled with two words. Do and don't. There are things you have to do. There are things you better not do in order to be right with God. However, there's one religious faith. That's spelled with the word done. That's the faith marked by the grace of God. Everything has been done for us by Jesus Christ on the cross for us to be right with God. All you have to do is receive it. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, it emphasizes the powerful grace of God. 
Not something that you do. It's not something that I do. We don't add our flavor and our, add our seasoning. We don't add the word and to it. It's in Christ alone, by faith alone. That's the gospel of Jesus. Here's the second thing that you're taking note. The, the true gospel exalts the Son of God. It lifts up the name of Jesus. You'll notice that when Paul talks about grace in our passage, he specifies the kind of grace he's talking about. You'll also notice that when he talks about the gospel, he specifies the kind of gospel that he's talking about. Again, look at verse 6. Paul said that God had called us to live in the grace of who? Christ. Look at verse number 7 that we should not allow people to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul makes a connection to both grace and gospel to Christ. The true gospel, the only gospel worth believing, the only gospel worth hearing, the only gospel worth preaching, the only gospel worth accepting is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the subject of the true gospel, is Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, without Jesus dying for us, without him being buried for us, and being raised for us, then my friend, there is no gospel. Jesus, he's the core of the gospel. Jesus is the center of the gospel. Jesus is the content of the gospel. Jesus is the crown of the gospel. The gospel is all about knowing Jesus. The gospel is all about believing in Jesus, receiving Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, loving Jesus, and having Jesus. The true gospel revolves around Jesus. It shines all of its light only on the name of Jesus. Jesus is not in the background of the gospel. He's at the forefront of the gospel. Jesus is not on the sideline of the gospel. He's on the center stage of the gospel. He's not in the shadow of the gospel. He's in the spotlight of the gospel. When you add anything to the grace of Christ, you're saying that grace is not good enough. When you, say, when you add anything to the gospel of Christ, you're saying that the gospel is not sufficient enough. When you add anything to Christ, you're saying that Christ is not good enough. The true gospel is not one person. His name is Jesus. I'll take off my preaching hat for a minute. <laughs> the true gospel exalts him. And number three, the true gospel expresses the loving heart of God. Paul wants to make sure the Galatians understand where it comes from. He said in verse number 11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Jesus Christ. The gospel is not something that the person made up. The gospel is something that God set down. You see, there are many human gospels, many human gospels, but there's only one heavenly gospel. There are many gospels from the head of human beings. There's only one gospel that comes from the heart of God. And the central message of Christianity, it comes from him. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And to show how serious the gospel is, how serious it is to preach the right gospel, to accept the right gospel, look, Paul, look what Paul says in verse number 8. He said, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And then he says it again almost in verse number nine. As we've already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. The word, the Greek word for the word curse, the word anathema, anathema. By the way, that's not a good term. You don't want that term in your life. To, be, to have anathema, to be cursed, it means to be under the wrath and judgment of God. This is the extremest form of condemnation, this word curse. This word curse is the most extreme position of God's condemnation. And what Paul was saying, if someone preaches another gospel, or they accept another gospel, then the only gospel, you know, if they accept that, or if they preach it, then, then they're cursed. They're cursed. Anathema. By the way, you know, almost every Saturday night, as I go to sleep, my Saturday night are the worst nights, because I'm restless. Last night was, was extra worse. Extra worse last night. Because I read the word anathema this past week. And as I studied this, I said, oh Lord, please make sure I get it right today. Because what I do, I'm going to one day be held accountable to God. What I do matters. What I say matters. And how you receive it matters. I don't want to be under a curse. I don't want condemnation. I don't want to be cursed. And to emphasize the point, Paul said it doesn't matter if an angel from heaven shows up. And you start preaching another gospel, that angel, he become a curse. No one has the right or the authority to put God's name on their gospel. This is why, believers, you have to be careful when you hear someone preach the word of God. You have to be careful. There were false teachers in Paul's lifetime, and we have to be aware that there are false teachers in our days as well. But understand this. It's not the messenger that validates the message. It's the message that validates the messenger. So what Scott, you know, he pastors a large church. He's got a large following, you know, and it sounds good. And, you know, if it sounds good, it must be right. I pray that you would listen with discerning, with a discernment in your heart. I pray, listen, every time you come to Lake Point Church, it doesn't matter who preaching on Sunday morning. I pray that you don't take me for face value. I pray that, I, I pray that you would discern the words I said to the standard 
which is God's word. Every time. Every time. If I say something that's against God's word, I need to be called out to the carpet. I need an email to happen. I need a phone call to happen. It needs to happen. If I say something that's against the word of God, I need to be called out. And we have to listen. We have to be careful. We have to discern the voices we've heard to the word of God. He said, well, God, you know, he, he, he got a large church. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's a celebrity pastor, a celebrity author. It doesn't matter how brilliant that person is. It doesn't matter how many degrees that person has. It doesn't matter what seminary that person attended. It doesn't matter how polished, how popular, or how persuasive he may be. If he's not preaching the only gospel of Jesus Christ, then he's under the curse of God, and he is not to be believed. I love the way how Paul wraps up where he stands on the gospel. Look at verse number 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human or of God? Am I trying to please people? He said, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, see, Paul is absolutely obsessed with never compromising the gospel. He said, man, I'm not trying to please people. I'm only trying to please God. I don't want to sound arrogant, but in every sermon I've ever preached in my ministry, I've only tried to please, I've only tried to please one person. And that's not you. I've only tried to please God. Charles Spurgeon, he said the gospel is perfect in all of its parts. And perfect as a whole is the crime to add to it, the treason to alter it, and the felony to take from it. We're being told nowadays, that we ought to be open to new ideas, that the truth is always changing. But there are some things that never changes. God never changes. Jesus never changes. The truth never changes. The gospel never changes. There's no gospel 2.0. There's only one gospel. And you say, my friend, you say, Scott, why is it so important? He said, why is this message so important? Why am I being so passionate today about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Because the good news, the gospel, has been changing lives for over 2,000 years. I remember in 1982, on October 14th, a little seven-year-old boy named Scott Blanchard went to his mom and dad and said, Mom and Dad, I need Jesus. I know what he did for me on the cross, but now I need to do something about it. I remember on a, on a Thursday night, it was a school night. It was about 8 o'clock, it was past my bedtime. I think I may have been trying to you know, further my bedtime, you know, trying to stay up a little bit later. Maybe there was another ulterior motive. Time for bed, but I said, Mom and Dad, can you show me how I need to get saved? Let's show me from the scriptures. And I remember about 8.30 at night, I got on my little, little bitty knees. I prayed. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Plus nothing, minus nothing. It was simply my faith in Christ alone. I became a part of the grand story of God where the gospel had been changing lives for 2,000 years. For the first several years after Jesus' resurrection, the earliest Christians became known for how different they were from the world. 
the world sought material wealth and riches. But the Christians, they sold all of their belongings to meet the needs of others. Society, they would lock people in the dark, dirty dungeons, lock the, lock the doors and throw away the keys, and totally ignoring them for the rest of their life. Christians would visit them, bring them food and clothing. Women were treated as second-rate citizens. Children were even worse. But the early Christians, because of the gospel, preached and practiced the importance of family and marriage. What was it that made them so radically different? What was it that made them march to the beat of a different drummer? What was it that made them stand out like the North Star on a dark night? There's only one explanation, my friend. It was the story of the gospel that they heard, that they believed, and that they received. It's the only gospel that turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago. It's the only one that could still do it today. In a world of dark news, bad news, the gospel is still there. And we have hope because we have a man named Jesus who is still alive. He's still on the throne. And he wants to be on the throne of your heart if you'll give it to him. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have communion after that. Again, communion has nothing to do with our salvation. In fact, communion is an opportunity for us to reflect on what Jesus did on the cross and what he did in our lives. This doesn't add to our salvation. This is not a requirement for our salvation. This is simply a time of reflection, a time of remembrance. But I can't help to think that there might be someone here this morning you've heard about the gospel and you're sitting there and you say, Scott, I've never received the gospel in my life. I've never asked Jesus to come into my heart. Just like I did when I was a seven-year-old kid in 1982. You say, I've never done that. And today I want to. You know how you do it? You simply cry out to God. You can pray right where you're at. You don't have to, you're not praying to me. You're praying to Jesus. And in the quietness of your heart, right where you're at, you can pray to him. Call out to God and say, God, I want you to come into my life. Send your son Jesus to my life and be my Lord and Savior to forgive me of all my sins. My friend, he'll do that. And he'll come in. Not tomorrow. Not next month. He'll come in today coming to your life. He's knocking on the door of your house. The Bible says, all you have to do is open the door. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite those who don't know Jesus to come into a relationship with him. I'm going to help you say some words in a prayer. I call it the sinner's prayer. You can pray to God. God's listening. If you're watching online, you can do this right where you're at on your couch. Right where you're at. And you can ask Jesus to come in your heart. With head bowed and eyes closed. It's just God, you're talking to me today. I need Jesus in my heart. I need him to be Lord and Savior. And today I want him. And if that's true, if you're here today, you can pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I am a sinner. My life is broken. I'm asking you to come to my life to pick up all the broken pieces of my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to make me new. 
I'm asking you to come to my life for forgiveness of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for the gospel, the good news. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you were buried and that three days later you rose again for me. Thank you for your salvation. No one's looking in here. Mr. Scott, today I've received the one true gospel in my heart. I invited Jesus to my life. And if that's true today, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you do a song and dance in your chair. I just simply want to recognize if that's true, Mr. Scott, I pray that prayer. We had someone that raised their hand in the first service. Mr. Scott, I pray that prayer. That's you. you simply raise your hand. No one's looking. I'm not going to embarrass you. Are anybody, is there anybody in this room right now? I prayed. And I asked Jesus to come to my heart. Our God, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. I pray that we'll never forget, that we're reminded that we are so unworthy, but yet you still loved us. And it came down for us to die for our sins. That's the greatest news that this world could ever have. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.